We should have started earlier. People could have heard my Notting Hill hot takes. <laughs> you could always say them again, and I'll nod along and I'll nod along and agree just like I did two minutes ago. My hot take for Notting Hill is that it's a very white movie, and when uh, Richard, Cur I believe the director writer's name is Richard Curtis, when Richard Curtis was criticized on the fact that it was a very white movie, he said, okay, I'll put more non-white people in my next movie. And his next movie was Love Actually, which I think has maybe three black people? Look, it's England. That's an improvement. <laughs> it's not! Notting Hill is famous for its large black community. I'm saying he's an English filmmaker. He could have been less English. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> That's the problem with film these days. Too many Englishmen. <laughs> except, as I as I previously tweeted, except Hugh Grant. I could never stay mad at Hugh Grant. I don't blame you. I mean, come on. He plays Benoit Blanc's partner. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was about to make a tweet while I was watching it last night, and I was gonna be like, Hugh Grant was looked like a twink basically into his 40s. I'm surprised he never played a gay character. Wait a second! <laughs> Tanner, this lies in slander, and you know that. <laughs> also, I think he, he played a, a gay character, like, in a teens at the boarding school movie. Let me Google Hugh Grant gay movie. <laughs> Your guess is much better than mine. Well, I'm pretty sure it's on Tubi. Mmm. Tubi, savior of our world. It's called Maurice. Okay. It's a homoerotic boarding school flick set in 1909 starring Hugh Grant and James Wilby. I don't know who James Wilby is. Huh. And he was also in A Layer of the White Worm, which is not gay, but it is camp. <laughs> mm. And that's the one who's also got, uh, what's his name? The Doctor. Tater, there's been like 14 of them. You have to be more specific. Ah, Peter Capaldi. Ah, okay. <laughs> did you, did you know, but did you know that Peter Capaldi was in a punk rock band with Craig Ferguson? No, but I believe it. Well, you should, because it's true. The, the Their vibes are... Similar enough that I would absolutely believe that they were indeed in a band together. Did Peter Capaldi ever go on Late Night late, late with Craig Ferguson? That will have to be another question for Google. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yes, he did. And it was after he started playing 12. But it was also after I was in a university schedule where I could not watch everything mm. <laughs> every single night. Yeah. The band was called Stag with two Gs. And on the drum set there was a logo and it was a stag but the antlers were on fire. That sounds cool as hell. <laughs> um, but this is not a Craig Ferguson fan cast. Can you imagine if Craig Ferguson was on Glee? I, I feel like he would just be flipping tables all of the times. <laughs> I feel like him and Sue Sylvester would have outrageous sex. I would prefer not to think about that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to think about it either, but it's it's something that would happen. Yeah. What if they in the reboot Craig Ferguson played Sue Sylvester? I mean... He'll be Stu Sylvester. <laughs> Stu Sylvester <laughs> Stu Stuart Sylvester And he's still Scottish I don't think he can do an American accent That could be fun Okay, we should talk about Glee now <laughs> Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now As we riff the show Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show Better grab your golden stars and slushies Cause you're listening You're listening To loser like me Loser like me and welcome to Loser Like Me. This is a Glee recap and review podcast. My name is Christina, and at the reception, I will be rapping. And I'm Tanner, and I can pay my own bills and take care of my business. I hope you can. <laughs> you live by yourself, I think, unless things have drastically changed. Thank you for doxing me. Today, we're watching Glee Season 3, Episode 17, Dance with Somebody! It was mm -hmm. directed by Paris Barclay and written by Ross Maxwell. It aired on April 24th, 2012. It was Paris by director Barclay. It was. It was Barcold by Paris director. <laughs> I just thank God that Ryan Murphy did not write this. Yeah. Although he, I'm sure, I know, I know we blame Ryan Murphy for everything. And sometimes I feel like we do go too far. And you know what? I'll rescind all the mean things we said about Ryan Murphy if he agrees to show up on this podcast and do a no-holds-bar interview with us. <laughs> I, 
I agree with these terms. <laughs> here's here's the thing, is that, okay, on the podcast Cerebro, there was a long-running gag of dunking on Chuck Austin's run of the X-Men, because there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in there. And I haven't listened to the episode yet, but the most recent episode that came out of the recording of our podcast with Chuck Austin was a guest on there. And apparently he had a very good sense of humor, and he talked about what he had plans for his run, and a lot of things made sense after he did that. And Connor Goldsmith essentially said, like, this is why, like... Even though it's sometimes fun to dunk on, direct, on creators, like they're real people too, and you should give them like the benefit of the doubt because you never know exactly what goes into creating a story. And that's all very fair. Mm-hmm. That being said, <laughs> I think it's just Ryan Murphy's hand in the Glee project that raises our hackles. That and some of the plot lines in the main series. Not all of them, but some of them. Yeah, because most things at this point were by his hand. Yeah, and Ryan Murphy... At, at least as far up to this point in our watching of Glee, he is not always a writer who handles storylines with the most tact. Yeah. And again, like, I'm all for forgiving creators because sometimes they did the best they could. But you have to explain yourself first. <laughs> yeah, I, I would appreciate an explain yourself. And I, I, not a just, I don't know. It's, see, now I feel bad about being bullying Ryan Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a quick pre-pro trivia as far as this episode goes. Okay. Because this episode, as implied by the title, is the Whitney Houston tribute episode. And they started filming this episode just about a month after she passed. So, you know, it was still very fresh in everyone's minds at the time. (laughs) Yeah. And like, okay, listen. This was definitely to take advantage of the headlines. Yes. Which is is why I go back to, "Mm, Ryan... Maybe yeah. this was a little too soon, and like, yeah. I but credit where credit is due. They they don't make it feel exploitative. No, no. Like they they managed to. I mean, it's a Whitney Houston tribute, but it's not really about Whitney Houston, and it's more just using her songs as the medium for the kids to deal with their own issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We start off the episode strong with Mercedes and eventually Santana and Kurt and Rachel. Honoring Whitney Houston at a memorial shrine, which I think is set up in Mercedes's locker. Yes. Complete with lit votive candles. <laughs> yes. And they sing How Will I Know? And it's acapella. Mm-hmm. Not like a warbler's acapella where there's people doing like backing instrument vocals. It's just the just the main chorus. Mm-hmm. It's just harmonies and then Mercedes like taking leads in mm-hmm. certain points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great. They didn't have to make Rachel a part of this, but Whatever. I feel like Leah demanded that she be a part of something. But I will say this is I'm pretty sure this is the only number where she has like a real solo, so mm. Oh no, never mind. I I entirely forgot about so emotional. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it sounds great. It it's just it's so good because the harmonies are just so tight and so nice. They end up going walking through the halls of McKinley and they end up on stage in very pretty outfits. They have a key change. And I just wrote, Cool. <laughs> Episode's over. We're good to stop here. Because <laughs> it's just so good. This is one of the songs that I still have on my iTunes to this day, because it's just, it's so good. It's so iconic. I have the original because I prefer the original. Valid. Here's the thing. I remember after I listened to and watched this episode, I was like, wow, this was a decent episode. I'm going to get all the original Whitney versions of these songs. Goodbye. Understandable. Understandable. And after we get the title card where they're like, they look over to an empty spotlight because Whitney, d- just like all the other kids in the Glee Club, Whitney was also part of the New Directions or something. <laughs> Missing Man Operation <laughs> or whatever it's called. But yeah, it, it it goes over to Will and he's like, I don't understand why the kids are torn up about Whitney Houston. It's been two months. Yeah. And Emma's like, no, you, you don't understand. They're not sad about Whitney Houston. They're, it's just Whitney Houston on top of everything else. Their entire lives are changing. And she pulls out like a letter that she wrote to the royal family of, of Britain. Tanner, it's a pamphlet with a drawing of herself when she was in high school. Oh. And it says something like, so you're really sad about the death of Princess Di. <laughs> okay. But she does say that she was sending letters to the royal family after Diana passed. Because she was so shaken. And then she eventually realized that it wasn't Diana herself that she was sad about. It was the fact that Diana represented the end of her childhood. In the sense of, like, Princess Diana was, at the time, somebody that Emma thought was, like, 
you know, gonna be around forever. Someone who was gonna have a full, long, and happy life. And she didn't get that. And that was Emma's, like, realization of, like, wow, things really change even if we don't want them to. Yeah. And, like, I get it. I was the same way when Carrie Fisher passed. So, like... I understand it. And then I was like, maybe the kids are just projecting. <laughs> and then Will shows up in the club and he's like, kids, I understand you're projecting. And they're like, no, we're sad about Whitney. Yeah. I wrote down that Will needs to button his shirt. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had like the top two or three buttons unbuttoned. And I'm like, sir, you're a teacher. He's a cool teacher. No, he's not. He thinks he, he, thinks is. he is, but he's not. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he announces that we're gonna, they're going to do a Whitney tribute, and someone's mm -hmm. like, I think it was Sam, and he's like, didn't yeah. Whitney have issues? They make Sam the bad guy. I'm sorry, Sam. You don't deserve I this. I mean, no, it's literally for one line. Yeah. He's like, didn't Whitney have issues? And Mercedes is like, nope, she had a hard life. Moving on. And they're like, okay. And they do. It's never Good. brought up again. Actually, Good. the next time anything about Whitney's struggles is brought up, it is in the next season where another character says, I'm so sorry I didn't realize that Bobby Brown was the reason Whitney had problems. Hmm. What I'm saying is this Whitney tribute is already better than the Britney tribute where they're like, Britney Spears yeah. has issues and that makes her a bad role model. Like, okay, so yeah. Whitney gets to have a hard life and Britney's just a train wreck? I see how it is. Yeah. Yeah. The The important thing is that Rachel wants to sing the Star Spangled Banner and Kurt can't decide between a variety of songs like One Moment in Time or some other stuff that I did not write down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched the show at 11 p.m. <laughs> The whole point is that, like, Will wants them to use, like, basically, like, to to practice emotional closure ahead of graduation by working through their own feelings about Whitney Houston's death. Essentially, yes. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, we're not going to do that, but they kind of end up doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. Oops, we had emotional growth. Couldn't be us. <laughs> and yeah, so Kurt is talking to Blaine about his indecision. And he's like, uh, when y'all do one for Glee Club, I'll do another for my Niata edition. And Blaine is like, okay, that's fine. I can't go with you today. Because he's going to go to Between the Sheets, which is not to be confused with Sheets and Things. <laughs> but Kirk goes Between the Sheets, and then he gets Between the Sheets with Chandler Keel, a loud gay who yells. Yes. Now, I appreciate a Manic Pixie Dream Boy as much as the next person, but if someone came in with this level of energy, I would hide under a desk. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, Kurt is Kurt is just like looking through music and then Chandler appears from behind from behind the stacks of like Hi! Oh my gosh, hi! Oh, you're clearly another gay in Ohio. My name is Chandler Keel. Oh, let's let's obsess about how much we love Whitney. Can I get your number? <laughs> Kurt, this is what it's like to be dating yourself. <laughs> I have a question. Is this insist? No, it's me. Oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but Kurt is flattered and a little bit overwhelmed by how energetic and complimentary Chandler is. <laughs> but he's into it. Yeah, yeah. And then we just gear change right into Dance with Somebody by Britney. It fucking slaps. <laughs> it truly slaps. It's Britney and Santana. They're gonna dance with somebody, namely each other, and also one soft butch cheerio. It's fun because, like, it starts with Brittany in the choir room, and as she goes through the first verse and chorus, she's, like, bringing people out into the center of the classroom to dance. And she even, like, takes Quinn's hands and, like, we're gonna dance a little bit, and then Quinn's like, okay, cool, I'm good, and then, like, rolls back into place. <laughs> oh, I interpreted it as Brittany was gonna pull Quinn up to dance because she forgot she was in the chair, and when, like, Quinn gets slid over, she's like, oh, okay, never mind. And she moves on to the next person. And Quinn is like, oh, I can't dance. Yeah. And then we cut to the auditorium where they're in, like, the reenactment costumes trying to emulate the music video. It's adorable. It's fun. It's great. At this point when the episode was airing live, I had, I was not watching the show. But this number got posted on Tumblr and went viral. <laughs> As it should. Yeah, I mentioned the softbush Cheerio because there's one Cheerio and a pixie cut who gets several close-ups during the dance, and like I don't think any other Cheerios do. It's just her and then Brittany and Santana. So like for for a, probably about one week, this this softbush Cheerio was showing up in several smut fix. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's shipping for you. 
And it's just, it's so good. They do such a good job, and they change the gender to accommodate the fact that it's two women singing it. Yay! That's the lesbian! <laughs> yeah, that's the lesbian. <laughs> that's the one lesbian from the IMDb episode summary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it's fun, and at the end, Brittany says, like, hey, everyone's a good dancer. And even Quinn, but in Brittany's dreams, where she can also fly and breathe fire. Exactly. I dropped a Lego piece. No, don't step on it! No, I didn't step on it. It's just uh, currently, there we go. It is no longer underneath my laptop. Okay. And now my hands are empty again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. <laughs> the Quinn is depressed that she cannot walk or dance or fly or breathe fire. Exactly. And Joe comes up to her in the hall and he's like, hey, I saw that you were a little bummed that you couldn't fly or breathe fire. Maybe I should, how's your physio going? And she's like, it sucks. I still can't breathe fire. And Joe's like, maybe you can breathe fire if I come with you. Yeah. And she's like, why do you want to help me? And he's like, because it's the Christian thing to do, man. I want to be a good Christian. Jesus took the wheel and sometimes that wheel is a chair. (laughs) Maybe Jesus did take the wheel and that's why Quinn survived the car accident that should have killed her. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, speaking of, I guess, heterosexuals. Yeah. (laughs) Will gives Emma a present and it's a pop-up card. And it's an invitation to, I guess, wedding planning with Mr. Lavender, who's Northwestern Ohio's most notable wedding planner. Mm-hmm. And because Will, Will's plot this episode is that he wants to move their wedding up from November, or it was either November or December that they'd originally It was been Christmas. Planning. It was a post-Christmas wedding, I think mm. they even said. Mm. So they, he wants to move their wedding up from December to May. Which is next month. Which is next month. He doesn't give any explanation for this. He just kisses Emma to persuade her to move their wedding date. And well, His explanation he gives is, it's not about sex, but it is about how they've been together for so long anyways that why wait until then? So it's not about the sex, but it is about something else. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll and get of to course, later. If, I, if I was Emma, the counter argument is, we're, if we're, we've been together for so long... And we're going to be together forever anyway, so what's waiting another few months? Mm-hmm. Aha. Uh-huh. I've caught you in your web of lies, Willow Shostar. <laughs> it's very easy to do. There's quite a web. It really is. We then cut over to Rachel, and she's like, I can't sing the Star Spangled Banner! And Kurt is like, yes, this is a fact, you dumb sod. Yes. And she says this as he's feather-dusting the Whitney Shrine. <laughs> <laughs> and he's texting Chandler... Who has just apparently been texting him cheesy pickup lines for the last two days straight. (laughs) Yeah. And Kurt's like, this isn't flirting. This is just gaze. (laughs) Yeah. And Kurt also says something like, I'm afraid that the spark is gone and Blaine's in my relationship. We're not spontaneous anymore and Blaine doesn't talk to me or compliment me. Yeah, so he, he asks Rachel if Finn sends her cute messages, and Rachel's like, yeah, some t- most of the time they're just puns about my boobs, but I appreciate the effort. And Kurt is like, okay, well, me and Blaine have lesbian bed death. We've become an old married couple. We, d- we don't talk to each other, and <laughs> we have not had an unscheduled makeout session in weeks. And Rachel's like, you schedule your makeout sessions? Yeah. And Rachel then points out, like, Kurt... Would you show Blaine those text messages? And he's like, oh, no, what are you talking about? And she's like, then this isn't innocent. This isn't not flirting. Exactly. Yeah. Then we go back to the choir room and Joe was like, I, we, me and Quinn have been working on a song and I don't know if it has anything to do with graduation, but we dig it. Can we sing it? And Will looks at Joe like, who's this kid again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whomst? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Samuel Larson, co-winner of the of the Glee Project season one. Never heard of him. What's a Glee Project? I only know Rory from it, and he's not here today. Yeah, he's not here, and neither is Sugar, because it's another tribute episode. Sugar and Rory are contractually barred from showing up in the tribute episode. I don't know what's going on in the kayfabe of the universe. Maybe they're at a week-long fuck retreat. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the headcanons going on, is that... Due to the implied short amount of time they had left was that Sugar and Rory were like rabbits. Ah, okay. I mean, whatever boats your float, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how I characterized them when I was writing them. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, they were broken up for the first half of my fanfic season, but when they got back together, mmm, Pound Town. <laughs> I'm sure they were both very happy. <laughs> Anyways, we spe- speaking of <laughs> but speaking of sex. <laughs> We head over, we head over, like, while we're singing the song, we're singing, uh, Saving All My Love For You. Mm-hmm. And we cut over to the physio where Joe is helping, like, stretch Quinn's legs and he's all pressed up in there against it. And there's this subtle implication in this, uh, scene and may- maybe the rest of this just scenario that, like, all she needed was to get better was to believe in herself and also the warm touch of a man. And I'm here to say that if Rachel or Santana went with her to physio, she would have been walking a month ago. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not wrong. And it's like, part of it too is that it's like, the song Saving All My Love For You, like, this is a song that could have been done in season one as part of Abstinence Club. <laughs> My name is Joe Hart and I'm Abstinence Till I Die. <laughs> That's what he's up to this point. Yes, that's his characterization. <laughs> but like the song, the song is good. It's kind of bluesy. But like as Joe is helping Quinn through physio, it's like, oh hey, uh, he's got a boner. Well, the, the, and doesn't know how to boner, feel about that. <laughs> the explicit declaration of boner isn't until later because just in this scene, he's getting up real close and they're gonna have an almost kiss moment, and then he pulls away, and Quinn is like, oh no, it's the chair. But as we'll find out later, it's actually because Joe's cock was full of sin. <sighs> let me know if I'm getting too explicit in this episode. <laughs> I, I will let you know. Okay. We then get another whiplash cut back from commercial to So Emotional by Rachel and Santana. This song is trying so hard to be River Deep Mountain High, but it's not quite there because it's yeah. Leah Michelle and not Amber Riley. <laughs> It's it's ironic because the song is called so emotional and Leah Le- Michelle forgot to sing with any emotion. <laughs> I also, uh, if you watch in the background, you can see Finn is recording Rachel. Brittany is also recording. She's recording Santana, and Finn is recording Rachel, and they're doing that handshaking move like, "Wow, we love our girlfriends." Yeah, but I feel like so. I feel like Brittany would have done this out of love. And yes. Finn would have done this because Rachel said, Finn, last week when uh, Mercedes went viral for singing her disco Inferno, it's because Sam recorded her. So you need to start recording all my performances so I can go viral. Yeah. And then while this is happening, Kurt gets a text from Chandler mm-hmm. and it says, were you, hang on, let me get really, really gay for this. Were you Cleopatra in another life? You've got a great asp. Yeah. Which Kurt loves. And Blaine is just sitting next to him looking so sad. Yeah, there's also, there's like a foot between them. Like, Kurt is sitting closer to Sam than he is to Blaine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just further proof that Kurt loves a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised, you know, you know, if Ryan Murphy was in touch with the modern gays, he would have had Darren Chris dye his hair platinum blonde because he's going through a crisis. <laughs> The fact that Blaine never goes through his blonde era is unrealistic. <laughs> I did actually, the, I went, uh, there, there's a gay guy who I work with, and I went up to him one day because his hair was like, he suddenly came in with the bright platinum blonde hair, and I was like, hey man, you doing okay? He's like, yeah, why? He's like, oh, it's your hair. It's like, that's like the unofficial sign of a gay crisis. And he's like, oh, no, I really am just trying a new look. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, you let me know if you need help with anything. <laughs> Anyway, after So Emotional, we... God, we are just clipping through this episode, huh? This episode really slides smooth off the skin like a shark. Yeah, I just I just looked at our timestamp and we've been recording for 35 minutes. Ten of those minutes are us going on tangents in the intro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Holy cow. Any, I, I guess anyway, we then cut to the women's restroom where... It's every Glee girl doing their hair and makeup in the mirror at the same time. And Quinn, who gets to do her makeup in the reflective hand dryer that is at her head level. Oof. Social commentary. Yeah. And, like, they they talk about, like, oh, hey, Quinn, that musical number that you did with Joe was pretty convincing. Eh? Eh? And she's like, no, no one will ever love me while I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. 
She's like, oh, I hate myself. Nobody loves me. Nobody will ever love me because I'm in a wheelchair. And also, she, I'm... she really caught miserable arty disease. <laughs> yeah. She did. I'm truly not trying to downplay that, like, yes, there are struggles when you are in, a, you're forced to use a mobility aid. And yes, there are people who are going to use that and decide, mm, I'm not going to date the person using the mobility aid. Yes. However, but... in the context of Glee, this it truly just before. highlights the fact. It truly just highlights the fact that the only plots they can think of for people who are in wheelchairs is, Oh, my life sucks because I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. I can or cannot fuck because of this wheelchair. Yeah. And also, is this the part where Quinn says, like, I, like I'm done with that part of my life? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, because six episodes ago in Michael, Quinn swore off dating men. Yeah! And yeah, it's just like, Quinn, honey, and Rachel's like, oh, Quinn, I'm sorry, like, you're not undateable, or something like that. And Quinn is like, no, my life sucks, leave me alone. And as she goes to leave, we get a nice reaction shot from Santana and Mercedes, who are appalled that their girl Quinn, that her self-esteem is so terrible. <laughs> oh, also, Quinn mentions, like, oh, I thought I had something with Joe, but we didn't kiss at physio, so I don't think he's into me. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn, it's okay, honey, you got like four episodes, and you're gonna have your big queer freshman year. Anyway, then we cut to what autocorrect on my iPad wrote down as, cut to the Schuster Pillsburg house. <laughs> Why not? Hey, it's Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> yeah, Joel McKinnon Miller. Yeah. I haven't watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I just wrote him down as one of the two inefficient guys. Here's some fun trivia for Jake Mason specifically. I think this is the only time that Michael Malley and Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine are in the same show. Really? Also, yeah. you think Jake is listening to this? I'll at him. <laughs> Look, we both love Jake. He has too many po- he, he has expressed that he has too many podcasts to listen to podcasts. <laughs> I'll put it in the at. I'm like, <laughs> fun fact for Jake Mason specifically. <laughs> Jake, if you are listening, hi. You don't have to keep listening. We understand. But yeah, uh, he is here playing Mr. Lavender, who is the wedding planner. I, I do like this because he's incredibly de deadpan. Yes. <laughs> um, like, Will walks in the door, is like, oh, you're here. And he immediately goes, your colors are citrus and wasabi. Uh, wasabi is the new sea foam. Also, you can get monogrammed handy wipes. And Emma loves that last part. And so do I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And when Mr. Lavender tells will like look there are no available wedding venues for one month from now that have a stage big enough to fit an entire glee club and will throws a hissy fit <laughs> yeah he says fuck you you're fired yeah and oh also forgot to mention that when will said at the at the reception i will be rapping both emma and mr lavender rolled their eyes <laughs> <laughs> this is the correct response we established two years ago that people don't like it when you rap, Will. Do you think that Will Schuster has ever been self-aware in his life, Tanner? I don't think he rapped since Jacob Ben Nerzreel said that, so I think he has been self-aware until now. Huh. He's like, I've gotta give the Glee kids one last rap before they graduate. Anyway, divorce. <laughs> You're not even married yet, but get a divorce. Exactly. Emma, I'm sure that hot firefighter from season one would still call you back. Mm-hmm. Annie Hoozle. Mm-hmm. In the next scene, uh, Joe has gone to Sam for girl advice about male urges. Yeah. And specifically, when we say girl advice, we just mean Quinn advice. <laughs> Quinn advice. She's a very special girl. Yes. Although Joe Joe had no idea that Sam had dated Quinn before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that I appreciate is that when Joe goes up to Sam, because Sam is in the locker room, and is doing arm curls. And he's like, cool, hey, you here to you here to lift weights? And Joe is like, No, I need I need I need girl help, please. And Joe tries to kind of like talk around the question that he has. And Sam says something like, Look, I am not always good with picking up like subtlety. So if you have a question, you need to tell me outright. And I was like, Is Sam somewhere like on the spectrum? He could be. Or he could yeah, mayhaps. Yeah, just that was just the thought that I had. I I I gotta tell you, it's gonna take some legwork to try to reconcile Sam from the first three or first two seasons and Sam from the later seasons. Mm. 
Okay. As long as he keeps loving Mercedes, we're good. Oh, yeah. He's always down for Mercedes. Good. Anyways, Joe then tells Sam that uh, he got an erection and he's worried because his cock was full of sin. Yeah. And they have the whole, like, (laughs) conversation about, like, what do I do? Because conservative Christianity would have you believe that it's morally incorrect and that you're going to go to hell. And Sam, like, counters with, like, the the thing about, you know, like, hey, Leviticus says that you're not supposed to wear clothes that have different kinds of fibers or get tattoos. And he kind of, like, points at Sam's Bible verse tattoos. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Like, his argument is that things are way easier when the Bible is being written and, like, those laws are way easier to follow. But now there's, not only are they surrounded by temptation, but, like, it just doesn't make sense for them to follow every single rule. And he says, we should, like, in my mind, a good modern Christian is someone who prays and respects God and does right by others. And then Joe's counterpoint is, but I was taught to believe that respecting your body is respecting God. And that's why you can't have sex before marriage. And then Sam's basically like, okay, do you want to date Quinn? Do you want to date God? Yeah. (laughs) Sam also says something like, let's be a new kind of Christian. The Christians who fuck. Yes. He's like, do you want to be a nun or do you want to get thee to a nunnery? (laughs) oh also sam does mention that he had sex while he was working at the strip club so that's concerning yeah i don't care how much fuck talks off the milfs uh that probably would have not been fun for sam yeah although the way the way that he mentioned it makes me think that it was like a consensual and maybe something that he like not not initiated but something that he like wanted to do i'm probably not articulating this great but i don't think it was like a He didn't seem concerned about it. Yes. But I am concerned on his behalf. I am concerned about STDs. (laughs) Yeah, well, nothing's come up by now, so he's probably fine. Yeah, yeah. And especially now that he knows about washing his jockstrap from a few episodes ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, next scene. We are in Kurt's uh, bedroom, and Kurt has brought in like a charcuterie board so they can watch something of some gay manner. Something relating to Whitney. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but Blaine has found the texts, and Kurt's like, why are you going through my phone? And Blaine's like, why is Chandler texting you, like, 30 times in the past 24 hours, and they're all horned? Yeah, and it's like, the um, the implication that I was getting from that is, like, Chandler is just texting Kurt so repeatedly that it's just coming up on his lock screen, so Blaine doesn't have to get into his phone, it's just there. Yeah, and Blaine is like, we have, in the time that you have met Chandler, we have texted four times, three of those were you looking for peach-colored shoe polish. Yeah, and this is, like, it's it's good acting from Darren, because Blaine is just, like, he's just a sad, kicked puppy who is accusing Kurt of, like, cheating on him, and Kurt is, like, weirdly, like, out of focus. Like, they shot him out of focus. <laughs> but the the fight they have is basically, like, Kurt being like, Blaine, you've just been so emotionally distant, and I'm not... <laughs> I'm not cheating, but Chandler makes me feel appreciated and loved. And Blaine is like, I'm gonna beat, like, you think I don't love you? I moved school districts to be with you. I uprooted my entire life to be with you. (laughs) And Kurt is like, (laughs) and Blaine is like, you're not gonna be here next year, and I'm still gonna be here. I'm trying to get used to the idea that you're gonna be in New York City, and we're not gonna be able to see each other every day. And I I forget if it, like, ends with, like, Blaine storming out, but we get a direct cut to... Okay, so here, so here's the thing. Let's let's not leave this scene quite yet, because here's the... I okay, am siding with Kurt it. in this scene. Go ahead, present your case. Okay, here's my case. He points out that Blaine has been emotionally distant. Like, every, every, everything Blaine is accusing Kurt of doing, of, like, not communicating with him or anything, Blaine has done the same thing. And it's clear that Kurt has tried to reach out and just hasn't worked. And we'll get more info on this later in the episode, but I am siding with Kurt on the fact that, like, okay, so yeah, so Blaine moved school districts to be with him, and then he proceeded to kind of replace him in the Glee Club, and not pay nearly as much attention to Kurt as he does to everyone else. And Kurt, it doesn't feel like Blaine moved to be with Kurt, it feels like Blaine moved to replace Kurt. And so Kurt is seeking passion elsewhere because Blaine couldn't provide it. And I do side with Kurt when Kurt says that it's okay. And and Blaine at least is correct in saying that it's not right, but it's okay. And that's when Blaine goes, oh shit, that's a Whitney song. And then he storms out. <laughs> yeah. 
And also, like, they, I, I think Blaine made the point about, like, like, they're ha- it seems like they're having the first, like, actual discussion about their feelings in a long time. And Blaine is like, we just, yeah. like, like, look, if I'm not making you feel special, then you have to tell me. Like, you can't expect me to be omniscient. Like, we need to communicate, and we have not been communicating. But 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 again, Kurt has been trying to reach out to him. Even in the first scene of the episode, Kurt is reaching out to Blaine and saying, like, hey, do you want to come with me and help with my Niata stuff? Like, Kurt is trying to connect with Blaine. And also in this scene, Kurt points out that Blaine was constantly texting Sebastian. And Kurt, Blaine is like, but I didn't like Sebastian. Which is, come on, Blaine. Maybe you dislike him in hindsight because he did kill you. But you clearly liked being friends with Sebastian and were completely blind to the fact that he was trying to seduce you away from Kurt in the first place. Yeah. Like, Kurt having an emotional affair isn't the correct answer to this, but I also don't blame him for doing so. Yeah. Yeah. There's no winners. (laughs) Anyways, we cut to the bass beats of the Glee Club as Blaine is in there and he's like, "Mm, This is a song for anyone who's ever been cheated on. And Kurt is like, I'm not cheating on you. And... As Blaine says that, like, you can see, like, Artie and Santana and Mercedes, like, raise their DEFCON levels. (laughs) (laughs) And then Brittany says, cheetahs have the fastest land speed of any land animal. Good job, Brittany. Good job, Brittany. Uh, Also, watching this song, I think has truly convinced me that Darren Chris is heterosexual. (laughs) (laughs) If Blaine was a real gay, again, he didn't dye his hair blonde, but also if he was a real gay, he would have put his entire blussy into this song. He would have put some sass on the line about how Friday night you and your boys went out to eat. Oh, yes, he did. But he's he is as unemotional as Rachel was. <laughs> he's mad, but he's not sassy isn't the right word. He's not Invested. dramatic about it. There's just anger. There's no righteousness. There's no aha. I caught you. It's just a very bland ground level. Ugh! I can't believe Kurt had done this. Mm. There's more There's more emotions, I feel, coming from the rest of the Glee Club, who the fact that they all start singing background for Blaine against Kurt is kind of unhinged. And I especially it's... like where they all appear <laughs> in his musical headspace. Because, like, we need to talk about the imagined spot in Blaine's head. Because we cut between Blaine singing in the classroom, where all of the rest of the Glee kids are joining in. And then what I'm assuming is probably also trying to be a recreation of the original music video... Because yeah. we just have, like, four dancers just kind of, like, vibing. And then we cut in between that and, like, th- the vibes that I was getting from this where it's just, like, Blaine at, like, a glass table was, like, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of cut between, like, Blaine singing by himself and then Blaine at, like, a conference, like, a glass conference table. And then the entire... Everyone else in the Glee Club except for Will is standing behind him, and it looks like a tribunal. Everyone else is having, like, I just wrote down, this is peak Glee. (laughs) And everyone else is like, "Uh Mm uh-oh, oh shit. And then Blaine doesn't even stay around for applause, he just immediately storms out after the song. Yeah, and Santana says, oh snap! (laughs) Speaking of Santana, Pesberry watch. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is Pez. It's truly Pezberry Watch. Holy shit! Um, this is also the locker analysis, like in universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't take notes. Do you take notes on Sintana's locker? I did not, but I have vague memories of what happened with it or what it looked okay, like. Well, well ma- mainly because Rachel shows up behind Sintana and she says, "You can tell a lot about a person by how they keep their locker." Yeah, and the the whole scene is basically like Rachel flat out says. Why have we been enemies all these years when we could have been singing together in Glee and be friends? You should put my picture in your locker. Let's be friends. And Santana is like, okay, yeah, sure. We like, look, we'll always have Glee Club. And Rachel's like, we only have 42 days left in Glee Club. And half of that is preparing for nationals. Let's be friends. And I personally, I'm like, Rachel, honey, why? Santana, why are you going along with this? (laughs) Because she's emotional. She's pre-nostalgic. Even she is like, oh shit, I can't, I just realized I'm going to miss you. Quick, say something irritating so I can get this taste out of my mouth. <laughs> that is true. Because, like, the inside of Santana's locker is, like, plastered with pictures of, like, her and Brittany, her and Brittany and Quinn, the magazine cover they made with, like, Santana on the cover of, like, Cheerleading Monthly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Teen Soccer Quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a joke that will make more sense later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Rachel's like, put a picture of me in your locker. I'm gonna hug you now, Santana. And Santana does put the picture in her locker, and I'm like, honey, why? You don't have to be friends with Rachel Berry to be in glee with Rachel Berry. Case in point, everybody except Finn and Kurt. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, time for an actually good scene about pre-nostalgia. Yes. We then cut to Kurt going through uh, stuff in his bedroom. He's got different colored post-it notes. And this is when uh, Bert comes in in a suit fresh off the floor of the U.S. Congress. I can't believe they remembered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Bert is like, Kurt, what are all these post-it notes for? And Kurt's like, I'm color coding what's going to go with me, what can be sold, and what's going to go into climate-controlled storage uh, to be sold as memorabilia when I'm famous. <laughs> and what's Garbo. Yes. And what's uh, undecided. And one of the things that's marked as undecided is Kurt and Blaine at prom from last year. Mm-hmm. And he points out, like, yeah, me and Blaine are kind of on the rocks, and I do not understand where he is coming from. Yeah, and Bert just doesn't follow up on that, because I guess he's trying to be kind. <laughs> yeah, but he does find the the certificate of participation from when they lost regionals in season one, and Bert wants to keep it. And Kurt is like, no, you can't keep everything I'm going to throw out, that's how hoarder starts. And Bert is like, yeah, but some of this stuff is special to me. Yeah. And yeah, we do get this really good scene where basically... Like, Burt points out that they've been growing distance from each other for the past few weeks because he's been busy at Congress and Kurt's been busy doing Glee or Nyata. And Burt essentially says, like, I don't want you to go. Not, and not in a, I am going to try and dissuade you from moving to New York, but mm-hmm. I am still trying to handle the fact that my little boy is going to move out. Yeah, it's a very sweet scene. Yeah, because, again, much like we only have 42 days left together, this is Bert saying, Kurt, we only have 42 days left together before you presumably head off to New York and start living as a grown-up. And I am so glad that you're able to, and I'm glad that, like, over these past few years we have brought out the best within each other. We mm-hmm. made each other men. Mm-hmm. But I am still trying to get used to the idea of my little boy leaving. Yeah, and it's it's that parental thing of, like, you love like you love your kid or kids and, like, you have to let them grow up and become their own people. And you have to you have to learn to accept that your relationship to them is going to change. Because, <laughs> like, I think that's part of what Bert says, too. Like, like when you walk out that door to go to New York, like, everything is going to change. He doesn't say it's going to change for the worse or for the better. He just says it's going to change and we can't change it back. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very good. I teared up. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a real good scene. Because goddamn, Mike O'Malley, he's a good dad. And (laughs) they have a hug, and then we get an immediate smash into the horn intro of I Have Nothing. Yeah. And I'm just like... Here's here's my hot take on I Have Nothing. Um, This is objectively the correct song for Kurt to sing in this moment. The lyrics and the emotions match up with what he is going through with regards to both his father and Blaine. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, I feel like this song should have come after he and Blaine have their little situation with Emma that instead is going to be a future scene. Because mm-hmm. it would make more sense contextually. But also, I feel like they should have rearranged the song to better suit Chris's voice. Because he is trying to belt the way that Amber or Niall would try to belt, or Whitney does belt, and it's not working. Because mm-hmm. it's just Chris. And Chris has a very wide range, but he's not a belter. Yeah, and here's the thing, is like... Like, I found so trivia that um, apparently Chris Colfer said in an interview that this was the hardest song he ever had to sing in Glee, and they wouldn't let him sing it in the original key, which presumably would have been easier for him to access because his upper falsetto is, like, you can really tell that he's reaching the upper limits of his falsetto. Ah. And, like, like, narratively it makes sense because he's very desperate and trying to get sad puppy Blaine to take him back but it's like you can tell that it is literally out of his range mm-hmm. which that's on the music producers yeah also like I'm sorry Chris Amber sings it better yeah he probably agrees yes yeah like he definitely did the best that he could I just like Amber Riley's version on the masked singer better yeah and of course Whitney's version but yeah Next next scene, we got a quick little scene. It's Puck coming into the locker room while all the boys are changing into or out of their gym clothes. I'm not sure. And he hands out goodie bags, like at a birthday. Mm-hmm. They've got 
guitar picks and shot glasses that he lifted from people whose pools he cleaned. Uh, Blaine mm-hmm. says, drink till she's cute. <laughs> and it's like, when we say the guys, we mean it's Finn, Mike, I almost said Matt. <laughs> Matt's not here anymore. <laughs> he showed up just for this. It's Finn, Mike, Sam. I'm pretty sure Artie is there. No. Okay. Uh, Blaine is there. And Puck. And I don't think Puck has ever spoken to Blaine. Maybe, yeah. Joe is there. It, I don't think Joe's there. Wait, so was it just four people? I think it was just the five guys, yeah. I feel like it should have been more. Wait, B- Blaine, Finn, Mike, Sam, Puck. Okay, yeah, that is five guys. They're going to make some burgers and fries. Um, but no, <laughs> Puck, Puck is like, you, you're you my boys and you stuck with me through thick and thin and you've forgiven me for sleeping with your women. He got the guitar picks engraved with the Dudes of Glee 2012 because he's going to miss them. And I don't know, I like, I kind of like sentimental Puck. <laughs> yeah. And now now we get to the, the clean scene in Emma's office that mm-hmm. I spoke of five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. They're getting couples counseling for Emma, who is not qualified for that. Yes. But she's like, listen, Sam Mercedes came for me for help, and that worked out. And Blaine is like, no, they broke up. And she's like, well, shoot, I thought they would work out. Yeah. And as Blaine and Kurt, as they start their conversation, Kurt says, like, I already apologized to you in song. And Emma, <laughs> Emma, like, slides a pamphlet entitled Say You're Sorry with a Song back under the rest of the papers on her desk. Yep. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of venting. I have sparse yeah, notes it's on like, this. Yeah, it's like, we need to open the lines of communication and so, Kurt, you've expressed that there's things you want Blaine to change. Blaine, do you want to, Kurt to change anything? Here's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreements. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> Blaine is like, you need to stop snapping your finger at the waitresses, which I think is yes. something you also told Kurt to stop doing. You Probably, rushed into the yes. TV and you told him to stop. <laughs> I did. Also, you need to stop slipping bronzer into my moisturizer. And Kurt's like, well, you look a little pale, um, <laughs> which is weird to say to Blaine, who yeah. is tanner than Kurt and also is half Filipino. <laughs> yes. Kurt, whose in-universe nickname from Sue Sylvester is Porcelain. This is the whitest boy. <laughs> yes. And, and Blaine's like, I only use the moisturizer on my hands. It looks weird when someone only has tan hands. Yeah. <laughs> tan, tan hands Anderson. Emma's like, Kurt, wouldn't you love Blaine just as much if he didn't have tan hands? Yeah. It's like, normal people, would you love me if I was a worm? <laughs> Glee, would you love me if I didn't have tan hands? <laughs> yeah. And I forget the rest of what the rest of it was, but like... Uh, the part of their conversation that I remember was that Blaine is just like all that he and Kurt ever talk about is how excited Kurt is to go to New York and Niata and how that is just driving the rusty spoon in deeper that Kurt is not going to be here next year and Blaine doesn't know how to cope. <laughs> yeah, and so it's at this point where it's like, okay, now you're you're both you finally communicate you're on equal playing field. Bl- yeah, Blaine is concerned that like. Everything Kurt does is about Niata, and he's worried that he just can't wait to get rid of Lima and Glee. And Blaine. And Blaine, yes. I, I said Glee, but I meant Blaine, because Blaine is Glee. <laughs> <laughs> and Kurt's like, listen, you're, you're not going to be alone. The club is still here, and I'll be visiting, or you'll be visiting me, and we're going to Skype every day, and we're still going to be together, and I love you so much. This would have been a good time for, like, Kurt to say, like, the only reason I can't stop talking about Niata is because I want you to be a part of it as much as I am. Like, again, make it clear, like, I'm not doing New York stuff to try and push you away. I'm doing the, trying to do all the New York stuff with you so we can spend as much time together as we can. And also the reason I think it would make more sense if this is if for the song to come after this is because, like, Kurt could have this thing where it's like, I understand how you feel because, yes, for the longest time I've wanted to run away from Lima, and all of a sudden it's hitting me how much I will be leaving behind me that I am going to miss. And so that's when Kurt can say, don't make me close one more door, because he doesn't want to close the door on Ohio, even if he is running away from it. Well, not running away, but if he's going to New York, but he wants to keep a foot in the Ohio door. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And Blaine ends the scene by saying, like, you are the love of my life, Kurt. And I just wrote in my notes, you're 17. But they're also gay. (laughs) Yeah. We've established that there are maybe five gays in their immediate vicinity. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. That I can relate to. Listen, 
Here's the thing. If I had a boyfriend by the time I was graduating, I would probably be declaring him the love of my life, too. <laughs> Actually, I have said I love you to all of my boyfriends. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Emma. Um, speaking of Emma, she comes home and Will is cracking champagne because he's found the perfect venue. It's a KOA campground off Route 9. Yeah. Uh, Camp Koa is a big thing. Or it, maybe it's not a big thing, but it's definitely prevalent enough in the U.S. Oh yeah, we've go- we've gone to several KOA campsites when me and my parents went camping when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I think there's one like 45 minutes from where I grew up, but Will was like, Emma, it's perfect, they're available in May, we can use the campground, we can get married under the stars, and there'll be plenty of space for all of the Glee kids. And she's like, Will, I have OCD. I do not want to get married outside, under the stars, in May, with the bugs and the dirt. Yep, yep, yep. And Will looks about ready to, like, call it quits right then and there. Yeah. (laughs) Which is correct. Yeah. And Emma's like, Will, honey, the kids will come back for your wedding, even if it's in November or if it's in May. And he's like, no, I'm the kid to Yeah, he is worried that the kids will move on without him and he won't be able to move on because they truly changed his life. And he's like, three years ago, I was sitting right here and Terry was faking a pregnancy. And I'm like, well, you weren't sitting there because we've established that you moved to a different apartment. You guys sold the house. But sure. And Emma's like, listen, you every year you're going to get a new batch of kids and mm-hmm. they'll be just as special as these ones. And they're going to all of them are going to change your life. And these kids, you change these kids' lives, and they're going to show up for your wedding, even if it was ten years from now on the moon. And Will's like, would you, get, would you rather get married on the moon than at a campground? And she's like, maybe. I'm just reminis- like reminiscing about like how back last season, when Carol and Bert got married, how in their wedding, the Glee Club, they were all the bridesmaids and all the groomsmen. And how earlier in this season, Will was like, I'm going to have my best man be my surrogate son from my glee club. Yeah. Will Schuster needs more adult friends. Yes. I just, because like, here's the thing. My, like most of, well not most of, but like a solid two thirds of my family, my extended family, is involved in education. This is not a normal teacher-student relationship. Like, never have I heard any of my family members say, like, oh my god, I am losing it over the fact that my current class of students is not going to be my class of students next year. Like, Will Schuster has attachment issues, and he needs to go to therapy. (laughs) He does. He needs it more than Emma. Honestly, Emma's got her situation cased. (laughs) Yes. Will needs therapy from someone who is not his fiancé. Correct. You're oh, you're so correct. Yeah. You're so real for saying that. <laughs> it's not revolutionary. <laughs> yes, it is. Damn, Will Schuster in therapy. Why did I think of that? <laughs> Probably scare her off. Yeah. Anyways, in the next scene, we're at uh, Quinn's physio once again. Joe is once again pressing up against her leg, and he gets a boner, and Quinn feels it. So. <laughs> Something, some nerve endings are coming back, clearly. Yeah. (laughs) And they, I didn't write down all of their discussion, but the broad strokes is that they talk about like, are we going to be a couple? Do you want to date me? Or are you just kind of like unsure about what you want? And they talk about how it's like a conflict of like faith versus a desire to have sex. (laughs) Yeah. And Joe is like, I will forgo in my entire faith if you want to have sex with me. And Quinn is like, no, no, calm down. Holy shit. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm just glad to hear that someone still likes me in that way. And Joe is like, I'll I'll be your eyes and I'll look at you with my eyes. You can look at yourself yeah. through my eyes and see perfection. Yeah. Joe, honey. I'm, okay, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he, he's truly never seen another woman. Like, he says that he's never interacted with another girl before. So it's kind of understandable that he comes on this strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of in the scene like, cool, I guess we're gonna see what happens next, huh? I guess we're kind of dating. Oh, Quinn. <laughs> Whatever. Doesn't matter. 
irrelevant. <gasps> in the next scene, Blaine arrives at Kurt's locker and compliments him on his hat. He says he looks like a Russian czar, which is a weird compliment. But, you know, Kurt and Blaine's love language is uh, truly indecipherable. Mm-hmm. They're on another level of gay. Yeah. And then he sends Kurt a text, and we don't see the text, but the implication is, hey, do you want to fuck in a broom closet? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and Blaine is like, listen, Mr. Schuster said today's Glee Club isn't mandatory, so everyone's kind of doing their own thing, so there's no reason for us not to blow it off, too. And Kurt is like, oh, but it's we only have 42 days left of high school. At this point, you probably only have, like, 40 days. Yeah. So I just, I don't want to waste any of them. And so they decide to go to Glee Club just to see what's happening. And when we say that, we then cut to Mercedes and Artie jamming on the on the auditorium stage to My Love is Your Love. And as they're jamming, Kurt and Blaine, those two, they run in and join and then eventually everyone else trickles in. And Will is just looking on proudly from the wings as the kids are jamming and having fun. It's yeah. It's kind of a little bit like Ride With Me from the first season in the sense that it's like, hey, the kids are just hanging out and having a good time making music together. Yeah. Will Schuster not required. <laughs> exactly. Because, like, Blaine specifically says, yeah, everyone is off doing their own thing. Rachel's working on her Nyata edition. Puck is going for a blowout sale on Chlorine. And yet they all showed up anyway because they all realized, we don't want to miss any Glee moments either. It's cute. Yeah, it's fun. And we also see them cleaning out the lockers well cleaning out the whitney shrine specifically yes and putting their own stuff back up. so actually i think the whitney shrine was in kurt's locker because mm. like we end on kurt putting stuff back up and he still keeps the whitney poster in there or the a whitney portrait but he's also got like pictures of himself and blaine and with other kids and like a picture of them with their um their sectionals trophy from season one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's good yeah it's fun and real quick I wrote this down earlier, but I forgot to mention it. Okay. So Bert Hummel is in the U.S. House of Representatives, right? That's Congress, correct? Yes. Yes. You know what occurred to me? What did occur to you? Is it, in theory, if we were doing Glee today and Bert Hummel was still Bert Hummel, Bert Hummel and John Fetterman power team. I don't know enough American politicians. John Fetterman is a staunchly pro-union representative from Philadelphia. Okay. And they have very similar vibes, like Bert Hummel and John Fetterman have similar, like, we are staunchly liberal in policies and we are going to shake up Washington, D.C. one way or the other. Yeah, I can get behind that. I yeah. don't know this man, but I trust you because you're in it. Because I'm an American. Exactly. But yeah, so I think that would be fun. And yeah. that's it. Sure. We're getting to the point in Glee where there's like not a lot of trivia, which makes me sad. Because I think all of, at this point, either they'd stopped doing Behind the Glee, like those little video featurettes, and by this point in time, in the year of our Lord 2023, uh, people are deleting their YouTube accounts, and so the videos are just gone. Yeah, so that's the thing, is that I d- they didn't stop doing them, but I think they were no longer available through the official means, so the only way you're going to access them is if you have DVD special features, or if, the yeah, like I said, the people who re-uploaded them still have them up. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, we've established this was the scene that a lot of people were dropping off of, so also it was probably just a matter of there weren't enough people there to give trivia. Yeah. yeah. Um, my trivia is that Chandler is still occasionally seen as a like viable love interest for Kurt, despite only appearing in one episode. Really? Because isn't this- It's like, okay, if you, weren't, if you weren't shipping Kurt with Blaine, and you weren't shipping Kurt with Kurofsky, and you weren't shipping Kurt with Sebastian, and you weren't shipping him with Puck, and you weren't shipping him with Sam, and you weren't shipping him with Finn- then you're like, okay, Chandler, Candler, Candler is real. Candler confirmed for canonical. Yeah. I'm not going to say it had the fandom in a chokehold, but it definitely had like a dozen or so specific people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, you started. I'm going to give my gold star song to... Mm, I'm going to give it to How Will I Know. Nice. I'm also going to give it to How Will I Know. All right. Just barely over Dance With Somebody. See, the only reason I'd... Dance with Somebody is very good, but it's literally on the same level for me as the original. Mm. <laughs> like, to the point where... This is this is back where you had to buy the iTunes songs. You couldn't just, like, put them on streaming because you're paying monthly fee. 
Yeah. I ended up not buying either the Glee cover or the original because they were so close in quality that I got choice paralysis. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I'm I'm giving it to How Will I Know because How Will I Know they the composition makes it stand out. Yeah. And then my gold star moment. This is gonna be a weird one. My gold star moment is explicitly stating that they have 42 days left. Because you put a number on that, and suddenly you're like, holy shit, we are graduating soon. It's like, I, this. That, it's been the theme of the whole season, obviously, and yes, last week's episode t- touched on that as well. But, like, this is like, we have a countdown. It's coming. It's looming. All the coming episodes are explicitly about graduation. Let, let me break it down for you listeners at home. The next episode is about the Nyata auditions. The one after that is Promosaurus. The one after that is about a head injury. The one after that is Nationals. And the one after that is Graduation. Those are all graduation, end of year, we're going away, we're never going to see each other the same way again thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my best is 42 days. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> Am I allowed to just make my second best be dance with somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Just because, sure. like, the, like, like you said at the beginning of our, well, when you said it 35 minutes in, was like, this episode is smooth like shark. Yes. Like. Wouldn't your best be the birth scene? Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Because, it, like, it's just, it's a very, like, Tanner had to remind me about the great scene with Bert Hummel because the rest of this was just, like, in one ear, out the other. <laughs> and I forgot to note that down at the beginning. Uh, Tanner, what's your worst? <laughs> Did I have a worst? It's it's such a, such a smooth episode. <laughs> Did anything bad happen? You can make your worst be Blaine. No, because he's right eventually. It's just, I guess my worst. Oh, my my worst. It's a tie of just Blaine and Rachel not being emotional enough in their songs or being the wrong emotions. Mm. Mm. Does this make sense? Yes, it does. I'll just cut it down to Rachel. Because <laughs> truly, Blaine should have put some stank on it. Yeah, I do have a worst though. What is your worst? My worst is on uh, the music production team for making Chris Colfer sing I Have Nothing out of his range. Because <laughs> that's that's rude That's rude to Chris and that's rude to Whitney Houston. <laughs> that's correct. Those are both correct. I mean, it's not shocking because this was an episode that was clearly rushed. Like, yes. This was not planned a month before it happened. Yeah. And they're like, oh, fuck, we got to capitalize on this. Yeah. Oh, well. It happened, and now we have to live with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, that brings us to the part of the podcast where I tell you that Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network, and we can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice in our range. And if we aren't there, let us know, and we'll work on getting there. We can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter and through Loser Like Me Pod at gmail.com. We also have our own Discord server and Tumblr with links to those in the episode description. Uh, next time is the death of Rachel Berry. Again. Excellent. Once again. Also, we should have a guest for that. We have to message her. Yeah. I can message her. I, I can message her. Who's gonna, who's gonna message her first? Oh, oh, shit. Are we racing? <laughs> no. Okay. I'll message her just because I'm usually the person who's messaging people unless you personally know them. <laughs> I mean, I could text our guests. Message Annie and it just says, message from Tanner incoming. <laughs> I think that would be too indecipherable. <laughs> Incoming message from Big Giant Head. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, that's next time. Yeah. Let's count it. Three, two, one. And that's and what that's you missed, what you missed on, Glee. on Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening, you're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Fun thing, I am. Because you mentioned that, like, the extras for seasons going forward are probably only going to be on dvds i looked up on my local library app the dvd sets of glee which they do have hell yeah hell yeah and some of these reviews are interesting and incredible oh one person reviewing in 2013 said always nice to watch was disappointed by the dvd extras and rated it three stars (laughs) 
One person wrote a very long review rating it three stars and said, very entertaining. I just can't help but be amazed and appalled by the emphasis on prom and graduation. It's like focus, it's just like focusing on the wedding day and forgetting about the marriage. Virtually every episode in this rather long season is a goodbye. I see, I like that every episode in this season is a goodbye. Yeah. And then the last review that I want to read for the DVD set of Glee season three is rated five stars by someone who commented soon i hope comma i fucking no c f-u-k-i-n love l-u-v diz d-i-z as in darkness and zero (laughs) show spelled s-h-o lots of ellipses and then don't d-n-t stop spelled correctly believing dot 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 Oh, those are, you gotta send me some screenshots of those. <laughs> I will. I will. And the most recent one is one from Teen Review Board, which <laughs> I guess is teenagers in the library program reading and reviewing the, this DVD set of Glee. <laughs> Although it is good to know that if and when it leaves Hulu, that I have a backup. Yes. Plus, you know nobody's wanting to check out entire sets of Glee on DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's extremely true. Also, we can stop recording. I'm done. Okay.